Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. The state of Minnesota has gone from a small projected deficit last fall to a modest projected surplus as we head into spring. Before lawmakers can decide what to do with the surplus, they have to agree on whether the surplus is real. Republicans say the number should be larger. Democrats say the surplus could quickly disappear. I'm pleased to announce a budget forecast that puts Minnesota's sound fiscal management back on track. That's the news state lawmakers were hoping to hear in the middle of their second week of session. But Democratic Governor Mark Dayton quickly urged caution. After the temporary boost to the national economy provided by the federal government's massive tax cut and spending increase, both real GDP growth and consumer spending will recede. The state now projects a budget surplus of $329 million for the 2018-19 budget cycle. In November, the state projected a $188 million deficit. A key factor in the turnaround is economic stimulus from the federal tax bill. Democrats warned that stimulus could be short-term, calling the surplus razor-thin. I still remain very cautious that uh, we don't overcommit this session. Republicans are clearly more optimistic about the surplus, saying revenue collections the past three months are already pacing ahead of projections. Their assumptions are so pessimistic that we can't even count the money that we already have in the bank. Republicans say there's enough money to spend on conforming state tax law to the new federal tax law, fixing MINLARS, and making schools safer. From the November forecast to now, it's over a $600 million swing to the good or to the positive. But Governor Dayton says it's too soon to commit to anything. I'm going to have to look very carefully. The legislature can have to look very carefully at what, what's uh, possible, what's fiscally responsible to do or not do. Governor Dayton says he'll analyze the numbers with his budget commissioner and others before preparing a supplemental budget proposal to account for these new numbers. He plans to release that on March 15th, the day after he delivers a State of the State address. Two gun control bills were debated and tabled at the Capitol in St. Paul this week. Hours before the doors to a hearing room opened, the hallways were already packed with supporters and opponents. Five Eyewitness News reporter Eric Shalou was there. The House committee room was packed as House File 1669. The bill on background checks on private gun sales took center stage. Members, we face a crisis. Representative Dave Pinto from St. Paul says gun sales through a licensed dealer require background checks, so private sales should as well. There's no background check if that same prohibited person buys through someone else. Members, that does not make any sense. The Minnesota Police Chiefs Association says prohibited people know the way around background checks with private sales. People who would otherwise be prohibited from procuring a firearm can and do. The bill would require private sales, not between family members, to be conducted through licensed dealers to make a record and complete a background check. Those opposed to the bill say getting to a licensed dealer will be a burden to some Minnesotans. The universal background check bill puts a lot of undue burden on gun owners across the state, particularly the economically disadvantaged that will have to find a way to get to a gun shop. If you look at this total universal background check, I want you to think about the people that are going to hurt the worst. We're talking about single moms. We're talking about very low-income individuals. Eric Shalou, 5 Eyewitness News. And the comments from that gun club member were about those living in St. Paul and Minneapolis who'd have to go outside city limits to purchase. 
That bill stalled with one Republican voting to advance the measure. Meanwhile, the other gun control bill that would create a gun violence protection order also failed to advance and was tabled. New state records show a drop in permits to carry issued last year. The permit to carry annual report shows that just over 55,000 permits were issued last year. That's down from more than 71,000 issued in 2016, but still more than the 44,000 issued in 2015. The top five permit issuing counties are here in the metro, with the most, of course, coming from Hennepin County, the state's largest county. Republican Stuart Mills says he will not run for Congress in Minnesota's 8th District this year, despite incumbent Democrat Rick Nolan's plans to retire. Mills said in November he wouldn't challenge Nolan for a third time, but after Nolan announced his retirement, Mills said that he was reconsidering. Earlier this week on Facebook, Mills announced he has decided against it. Democrats Joe Rudinovich, Leah Pfeiffer, Kirsten Kennedy, and Michelle Lee, and late in the week, State Representative Jason Metza all entered the 8th District race after Nolan's announcement. They are all, again, Democrats. Republican Pete Stauber is the only Republican running. If you're waiting for a title transfer or your license tabs, you could be waiting even longer. State lawmakers have not approved an emergency $10 million request that Minnesota IT Services is requesting to fix the Minlar system. IT Services says they've notified contractors they can't support their work to finish tweaking the licensing and registration system. They also warn the lack of funding means high-priority defects will not be corrected until 2020, and low-priority problems will remain unaddressed indefinitely. Ultimately, IT Services wants $43 million more on top of the $93 million already spent to try to finish that project. Republican Representative Paul Torkelson says work on improving the system should continue. He says the notices to contractors won't take effect until the end of the month. Lawmakers will review the budget request again next week. All over the state of Minnesota, people are finding that their health care insurance is unaffordable. Governor Dayton says last year 116,000 Minnesotans dropped their health coverage, and he thinks that's because of the cost and poor quality. He's now urging state lawmakers to pass a Minnesota care buy-in option this session. This proposal will allow anyone to purchase Minnesota care coverage through Minsure, which also would mean that qualified Minnesotans who purchase this coverage would be eligible for federal tax credits through Minsure to further reduce the cost of their health insurance coverage. It would provide an estimated 100,000 Minnesotans another and more affordable health insurance option, according to the governor. This new option, if passed, would be funded by enrollee premiums. When you head to the polls, should you be allowed to wear political apparel? It's currently against the law in Minnesota, but it might not be for much longer. As our Josh Rosenthal explains, the U.S. Supreme Court is about to weigh in in a case that began with an altercation in an Eden Prairie church back in 2010. All those years ago, it wasn't about the Supreme Court. For Andy Selick, it was far more simple. I'm not going to remove my shirt to vote. And that is when the nearly decade-long judicial journey began for Selick, the executive director of Minnesota Voters Alliance, a group that describes itself as an election integrity watchdog. The real issue here is whether or not the free speech rights that we enjoy on a daily basis as Americans extend to the polling place. To be clear, 
you're not only concerned about people who would wear a Tea Party shirt to a polling site. It doesn't matter if you're with the League of Women Voters or Black Lives Matter. You should have a right to wear what you want to wear. Which is why Selick filed suit, seeking to overturn a Minnesota law that says Minnesotans can't wear political apparel at the polls. I think the uh, Tea Party folks are way overreacting. Hedepin County Attorney Mike Freeman is among the defendants in the case. My sense of the First Amendment is not offended by saying, Tea Party folks, don't wear your ID me please buttons into the polling place. I'd like to be left alone when I go to vote. Regardless of the outcome, the case is undeniably significant. It is so difficult to get a case to the U.S. Supreme Court these days. University of Minnesota professor Timothy Johnson explained that while between eight and 9,000 litigants ask the Supreme Court to hear their cases every year, justices typically hear fewer than 80 cases each term. That's less than 1%, meaning Selick's shirt may or may not be seen, but his voice will be heard. Josh Rosenthal, 5 Witness News. And Professor Johnson said he doesn't like making public predictions when it comes to the Supreme Court, but in this case he made an exception, saying he not only thinks Selick is going to win this case, he thinks it may even be a unanimous vote. One in ten people cope with a rare disease in this country. There's an effort at the state capitol to help address the needs of Minnesotans with rare diseases. That story after a break. Just about every day of the year is devoted to one thing or another, like National Ice Cream Cone Day or National Bubblegum Day, but some have a more serious focus, like National Organ Donor Day or one that's near and dear to my heart, National Rare Disease Day. This story will explain why. You're in a very, very, very rare situation. Representative Matt Dean authored a bill to create a rare disease advisory council. Along with co-author Aaron Murphy, they spoke to patients with rare diseases and their families on National Rare Disease Day this week. Murphy acknowledged the traditional health care system isn't set up for people with rare diseases that often afflict people from birth. It is organized around the traditional conditions that we take care of all the time. And for those of us who have experienced rare diseases, you more than me, uh, you're outside of that tradition. And so uh, you get a little lost in the shuffle. I had my first open heart surgery at two months old. My second open-heart surgery at two years old. 37-year-old Representative Nick Zerwas was born with a congenital heart defect. His parents were originally told in 1980 he'd only live six or seven years. He's beaten the odds and then some. I'm a legislator and that's cool. Um, I'm a father and that's amazing. 95% of rare diseases do not have an FDA-approved treatment and 30% of children living with rare diseases won't see their fifth birthday. My daughter, Abby Hauser, lives with a rare disease called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, a connective tissue disorder that impacts her joints. Each statistic brings together the lives of many people fighting rare disease in a world that doesn't offer a lot of options for us. That is helpful when looking at the big picture, but it lacks a soul. It lacks a story. So Abby started a blog called Owning My Story. At first, it was to share her story. Now she wants to do more. It's my goal to give more rare disease patients a voice and the incredible experience of sharing their story while bringing awareness to their certain conditions. As a kid with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, I never wanted to talk about this thing that made me different. However, as I got older, I realized that by denying this part of my story, I was losing an opportunity to impact the future of rare diseases. 
and obviously I'm a very proud father, as I know you two are as well. But that was Abby running the Chicago Marathon last October. Unfortunately, she was unable to finish, but even with her condition, she ran 22 miles. Uh, and, and these diseases often don't get enough attention, and that's why this rare disease uh, council, they're hoping to get this passed that would include a couple of lawmakers and uh, also medical professionals at the U of M. And it's one of those things that's kind of undercovered. Well, and Minnesota Capitol. is one of the leading states in the nation for medical research of medical devices. And so we have a proud history of, you know, the first heart transplant took place here in Minnesota. And so it sounds like this council is going to be a great opportunity to bring together some resources and some attention for those, uh, those types of diseases. And I know you guys have young kids. You know, Abby wasn't diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos until I forget exactly what age, six or seven years old. And so, you know, you never know when your family is going to be impacted by this. That's exactly right, and I think it's a great opportunity. This is a great success story of how the legislature can come together in a bipartisan fashion and actually help families make meaningful progress in health care. Yeah, the, my favorite thing was nobody was talking about who's a Democrat, who's a Republican. Yeah. You know, we're all people, and that was the, the important thing. So uh, I'm very proud of Abby and the lawmakers who are pursuing this legislation. Uh, let's talk about uh, the biggest story of the week uh, last week, the budget surplus. We went from small deficit to a modest surplus. But sometimes, Brian, I know you've witnessed this before, uh, they fight more over surpluses than over deficits. Well, right. And we should recognize, we should be glad that it was about a half a billion dollar swing to the positive. And so that's a recognition that the federal tax relief and the tax cuts on the state level are helping grow the economy. So that's a good thing. But you saw the Democrats saying they want to be cautious about this. Democrats are always really cautious about the money when it's projected. But then at the end of the legislative session, Democrats seem to want to spend every penny. So I kind of have a hard time following their logic. They say they urge caution and, uh, and you know, let's be careful about this at the beginning of the process. But then when we get to the end, they seem to have no problem spending all the government money they can. I, I imagine you look at this a little bit differently, <laughs> Darren. Uh, Democrats were saying they think maybe the federal tax bill is going to have a short-term stimulus, but it's unclear what's going to happen as we get further down the road. That's exactly right. Part of it is we don't even know the impact of the federal tax cuts because they didn't actually really take effect until February, basically. People started seeing it in their checkbooks. The other piece of it is we always go through this every time there's a surplus. If we run out there, we're going to talk about ways how we're going to spend it. We're going to give it back to families or we're going to invest it in things in the state. And every time we have this conversation, today's surpluses always become tomorrow's deficits. And the Senate Republicans came out with their agenda, their priorities for the session. Number one was tax conformity, conforming state law to federal law so Minnesotans don't end up paying more in taxes. And it's going to be interesting to see how much they'll be able to do with a surplus that is sizable but not huge. Yeah, and the good news again is that 90% of Minnesotans are getting a tax cut from the federal tax reform. And so now we want to make sure that those benefits are kept by Minnesotans because we don't want to have that disconnect between the state tax system and the federal tax system. So, for example, your federal uh, deduction, your standard deduction went up a lot, and your Minnesota state deduction did not follow that automatically. So they are going to have to take a close look at that, but I think they should be able to accomplish most, if not all, of what they're looking for to protect Minnesotans. Do you think they'll be able to agree on something within the parameters of this budget surplus? Yeah, they'll, they'll agree on something until election year, so something's always possible in election year. Especially when it comes to taxes. That's exactly right. But the piece that we also got to be mindful of, Washington has a way of screwing up things for Minnesota. You know, the first budget deficit we had uh, end of last year was based upon the federal government not paying its fair share of challenge uh, health insurance. 
That's now been fixed, but now we have the president out there doing a trade war, which can have a huge impact on our economy, particularly in greater Minnesota. All right. Well, it's going to be something that we'll have to be keeping an eye on, of course. Uh, just 15 seconds from each of you on this. It was interesting. Senate Republicans said they wanted to focus on tax conformity. All the press corps wanted to talk about school safety, which was another one of the things on their agenda. What's the likelihood there will be money for school safety? And we'll talk about gun control in face-off next. But what about the school safety piece? I think there's going to, it's going to be a priority, and I think they're going to at least start the process about finding some revenue to help schools make those kinds of choices. Yeah, money to help local school districts either hire off-duty police or armed guards or fix their buildings. What do you think? I mean, it's, it'll be a very small number, and it'll have basically no impact on school safety. All right. Well, speaking of all those issues, we're going to talk about gun con control coming up in just a moment. A couple of bills did not fare very well at the state capitol this week. We'll talk about that coming up in Face Off. And it's time now for Face Off. I'm joined by Republican strategist Andy Brem and DFL strategist Sarah Walker. Thank you both for being here. We're going to talk about gun control, as you were just pointing out, for I think the third week in a row, at least the second week in a row, and we will likely be talking about it for months to come. Uh, Sarah, were you disappointed that the House committee uh, tabled the two bills that gun control advocates were pursuing. You know, of course, I would have liked to see that they took action on those bills, but tabling them doesn't mean the bill, bills aren't dead. And I do think we saw some things which we haven't seen in past years around the conversation around guns. One is we saw a bipartisan bill. So now Republicans have signed on to the criminal background check bill. And then the other thing is we even saw one representative Republican vote with the Democrats to not table the criminal background check bills. And I don't know if we've seen that much enthusiasm around guns from the gun violence prevention group. And I don't think it's going to be over. And, Andy, I, you know, people sometimes get the notion that Republicans, you know, just don't care. They want it to be the wild, wild west, which certainly is not the case. Uh, I know some of them were concerned this was kind of being rushed through without fully thinking through the implications of these bills. Yeah, I mean, the, the reform should be done right. You know, Republicans like to say, and I agree with it, that guns don't kill people, people do. And to take meaningful, to have meaningful reform that keeps guns out of the hands of bad people is not a bad thing. At the end of the day, the best kind of uh, violence prevention we have is law enforcement and families being on notice of kind of the funny stuff that, that's been going on. All these mass shootings were, were, other people were aware of what was going on. Now, at the federal level, uh, it was somewhat uh, amusing, if I can use that word, on live television. President Trump has Democrats and Republicans sitting around a table, I think, in the Roosevelt Room talking about gun control. And he started sounding more like a Democrat on these issues than a Republican. And the Democrats didn't know what to do because they had to agree with him. Well, they did have to agree with them. And I think, like many people who watched it, I was a little shocked. And I, I think no one was more shocked than the Republicans. But ultimately, it looks like he's changing his position again. He had this meeting with the NRA, and now the NRA at least is tweeting that he's back to being fully on board with gun control, with gun, against gun control. So. But in his meeting, he was talking about how he'd had lunch with the NRA, and he said, yeah, they're willing to have some reforms. And then, of course, uh, NRA said, well, that's not exactly what we were saying. So where does this go from here? I mean, clearly the president is trying to lead on this, but right now he's kind of leading them in a circle. Yeah, I mean, he leads in a lot of circles. So at the end of the day, I don't think Donald Trump is much of a conservative. That's why I never supported him. But, you know, good for him for having different meetings and listening to different viewpoints. I, I, I think his open-mindedness is not a bad thing. Yeah, and our, our Democrats, while they disagree with him on almost everything, at least willing to give him some credit for at least pointing the conversation in, in that direction. I mean, I'm sure I think we are happy to hear that he's interested in looking at some reasonable measures. But again, I think the problem is with consistency and will he actually continue with this position 
with some gun violence prevention measures, and I don't think we're seeing that. All right, let's switch to another topic in the U.S. Supreme Court. The Janus case was heard earlier this week, and essentially, Andy, what it does is if it, they were to find in favor of Janus, this state worker from Illinois, uh, union workers would no longer have to pay even a fair share of union dues. They can already have the right not to join a union, but they do have to pay a fair share of union dues. What happens to unions if all of a sudden they cannot force members to pay a share of the dues? Well, first of all, I support collective bargaining. I think it's played a, an important role in our history. Public unions are a little different in that they are negotiating with the people they helped elect. So there's a whole issue there that used to be illegal. But at the end of the day, if union members want to join, great. But if they don't, they shouldn't have to. I don't, I don't, I've never understood why this is such a controversial issue. It, it makes so much common sense. And the fair share means they don't have to pay the full union dues, but they have to pay enough to help cover the cost of collective bargaining. But the other side argues so much of the collective bargaining process has become political that a lot of these people are paying dues kind of against their will because they don't agree with the politics. I, th I mean, that's true, but the reality is, is that they can also opt out of joining the union. But I think the bigger concern for me is that you'd be overturning 40 years of precedent. And I think one of the things that people often forget about is they would literally put... Um, tens of thousands of contracts up in the air and there'd be create a huge amount of instability and one of the roles of the Supreme Court is to maintain stability. All right. Well, it's going to be a fascinating topic uh, to watch. We expect a decision in June and we'll see which uh, side they come down on. Uh, Sarah and Andy, thanks for being here. We'll be back in 90 seconds with a reminder for people who like to do some ice fishing here in Minnesota. An important deadline is coming up. Tomorrow, most of the state's anglers will have to have their fish houses off lakes. This week, the Minnesota DNR was out on Lake Minnetonka reminding everyone who likes to ice fish about the upcoming deadline. They are also asking people to pick up trash at their fishing sites. In the southern two-thirds of the state, structures must be off the lakes by the end of the day Monday. On the northern third of the state, the deadline is by the end of the day on March 19th. We'd like to see what you have to say about At Issue. Send us your feedback and let us know what issues you'd like to see on the show. Just write to At Issue at KSTP.com. You can also find us on Facebook by searching my name, Tom Hauser, or At Issue. You can also find me on Twitter at T. Hauser, KSTP. And starting now, you can also listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on our website. Just head to At Issue at KSTP.com. That is all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.